Welcome to the Blossom Your Awesome Podcast, episode number 10. Today on the show, we have got spiritual guide Andrew Oser on the show. He is going to be talking to us today about spiritual journeying. He has been leading retreats on Mount Shasta and has led more than 1,100 tours and worked with more than 5,000 people. He is also the founder of the Joy of Sports Foundation that has served more than 50,000 children and was honored as a point of light by President Clinton. Andrew is going to be talking today with us about the power of spiritual journeying, going inward, finding your true authentic self, and the profundity of connecting with nature. I am so excited to have Andrew here. Andrew, welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Susan. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, Andrew, I'm going to say we jump right into it. Why don't you start by kind of giving me a little bit of your background and how you got into the shamanism and healing work and all of that. Well, sure. You know, I actually grew up kind of atheist, Jewish, intellectual, back East. Just pushed myself real hard academically and athletically. And then when I was in college, I discovered the inner game of tennis, which was just about being in the present, being in the zone, just letting go of attachments and just being fully present with the ball. And that was really a revelation for me. And I got started meditating and so it's a strong experience for me. I changed my plans from going to law school and moving to California to explore more. And pretty soon after that, I think within a couple of years after I graduated college, I came to Mount Shasta to go to some kind of healing festival. And I just fell in love with the mountain. And ever since then, the mountain has really been my spiritual home. I come here. Well, before I lived here, I lived in D.C. for a long time. And I've come here just about every year for my annual recharge. And the mountain always just brought me home to myself, you know, just helped me to release whatever accumulation I had from the last year and just come back in the present and get clear vision for the future. And then in 2006, I was finally in a position in my life where I could move here and be here full time and just sort of guiding retreats and sacred journeys on the mountain. And it's the most natural thing in the world for me to share the, the mountain I love and to guide people to receive the gifts that have been so profound for me. Wow, that is beautiful. Now tell me, you know, so obviously you were already spiritual when you first went to Shasta, but Can you kind of describe a little more of what that was like? I mean, was coming there kind of like this moment for you where maybe this is something that you'd kind of been looking for, searching for leading up to that moment? Is that accurate? What I would say, Susan, I was already very dedicated spiritually and that was my main focus in life. And I think Shasta just took me to a deeper place that I'd been made it more real and more grounded and integrated than before. So it definitely opened me to something beyond what I experienced before that. And what exactly is it 
Can you kind of tell me more about that? Like, what exactly was it about Shasta? One word really connected with Shasta that really resonates for me is presence. And there's just a palpable presence. And of course, presence and present are very closely related. And Shasta is just a place you can really come home to the present and really experience the presence of God in a way that's not just spiritual concepts, but is grounded living reality. You could say it's heaven on earth. (laughs) Wow, that's beautiful. Um, So now tell me, as far as the work you do or the your own soul journey you know how important has that been for you and just if you could kind of expand on that a little sure it was very fortunate susan and that i pushed myself so hard you know i had a lot of pain from childhood that was wanting to get away from and so my uh remedy for the pain was achievements. So I pushed myself so hard. And I did get to Princeton and graduated summa cum laude, but that had a cost. You know, I was just pushing myself so hard. I was getting so stressed out and worn out that, that I just started started looking, you know, for maybe there's something more to life than just pushing and stress. And I really, really committed myself to that. And I've devoted my life to that. And um, I feel feel very blessed that I started young and I feel now, you know, very, very grounded and just the joy of the present moment and the joy of who I am and who everybody is. Mm, okay. And now if you can tell me, you know, we all kind of are fall into that pushing ourselves, overdoing, doing for everyone else, not enough kind of me, let me get grounded. What is some guidance you can give here to people? I know you, we're going to get into some of the work you do on the mountain with people and your retreats and things, but for somebody who can't make it to Mount Shasta, someone who's just stressed out to the max, what are some kind of um, actionable tips they can take to start getting centered? Well, the first thing is you need to make your internal well-being priority. You know, most people are pursuing what I would call an outside-in approach to life in our society. You know, I can't speak in other societies around the world, but in certainly the United States and, you know, Western civilization, our society is basically outside-in. And everybody wants peace, everybody wants happiness, but we're trying to get it by accumulating things or controlling things. And so I'd encourage, first of all, people to pursue an inside-out strategy. You could say go direct, you know, to really make your first priority to, to find peace, to find happiness, to find God, if you're okay with the word God, which I certainly am. And just to make that the priority. And one way, one very practical tip is the first thing in the morning, when you first get out of bed, before you get up to get some water or go to the bathroom or anything, just spend a couple of minutes just connecting with yourself, with God, with 
eternal peace, whatever you want to call that, whether it's through breath, through a mantra, through gratitude. And I think by devoting the first couple of minutes of the day, which is a very powerful time, because you're coming out of sleep state, you've had a break from your normal ego mind consciousness. So it's a powerful time to set a tone for the day. You're saying, this is my priority. You know, I'm starting the day with this because this is my priority. So that's highly leveraged. You can just invest two minutes of time, get a huge return. And then during the day, just take a minute here, two minutes here, 30 seconds here, five minutes there to drop back in, especially if you think you're too busy for it. You really need to do it. You just have those mini breaks where your intention is just to stop all the doing, to redirect your focus inside and to switch from a doing state to a being state. And if you can meditate, you know, 20 minutes in the morning, even 10 minutes, that's great, but at least do those short breaks during the day. And, and that'll be a way to start prioritizing and maybe start stabilizing more in peace and inner focus consciousness. Okay. That is awesome. Thank you uh, for those insights. Uh, now, next question for you, you know, something I, I'm get your emails and I'm always um, just so kind of moved by some of the language. And one of the things that you kind of, um, you know, share is this coming home to your eternal self. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. Well, I think, you know, just about all of us, again, I'm talking about our society since that's what I'm familiar with. We really lose connection with who we are. And I think, I think it starts pretty early in childhood. And we develop a false self. You know, we're in a situation we don't feel safe. And even if it's a you know, relatively benign situation with no major trauma or abuse or tragedies, we, we don't feel totally safe. You know, this conflict, we're not always loved the way we want to be loved. And we should develop this false self designed to please people, to keep us from getting yelled at, to make us feel safe, called the ego. And we identify with that. You know, we, we forget who we are. We, we think we're some kind of little separate self. And we forget that who we are is really the, the one self which you could say is eternal peace, you know, infinite being, pure awareness, you know, so many words for that. And so we basically are living life through this false identity based on fear. And so coming home to yourself means first you have to become aware that you're trapped in this false identity since you're not aware of it, you know, there's no way you're going to get out of it. And then second of all, you have to really, Make it a priority to remember who you truly are, you know, to come home to yourself. And once you make it a priority, then there's, you know, many paths, you know, many valid ways to do it. And, um, you know, meditation is certainly part of it. And for some people having a, a spiritual teacher of some kind can be helpful. And, and to me, coming to Mount Shasta has been the most powerful thing since I think Mount Shasta is it's like a 14,000 foot mirror. It's here on this earth to reflect the deepest truth of who we are. And when people come here, if they're open, they receive that pure reflection and they remember who they are. 
Wow. That is so powerful and so beautiful. Um, so reflecting our deepest truth of who we are, what if, what about those people who are like, this is all foreign to them, right? How do we um, get people to be more kind of open to this idea and just this loving, like heart-centered philosophy? Well, you know, there's a famous saying by Albert Schweitzer, who is a great medical missionary. And what he said is there's three ways to teach, by example, by example, and by example. So I would say that's the primary strategy is just by living it. You know, before you start teaching it or writing about it, just to, to live it. And maybe people will see you're peaceful. They'll see you're happy. And they'll want to find that for themselves. And you can start you know, sharing things at work. So I don't think it's really about first and foremost you know, proselytizing or evangelizing or telling people what to do. It's first and foremost about living it. And for some people, and I guess I'm such a person, it's our kind of our dharma, our, our right work on this planet to be guides or teachers in some way and to offer, you know, formal programs or, or, or events to help people find that. For other people, you, you know, maybe they're working in a job in Silicon Valley, maybe they're working at a gas station, you know, maybe they're a waitress, it's, you know, could be anything, but, you know, just by their example, they're embodying the truth of who they are. And, and even if they don't talk to anyone about it, just by living your truth, you're awakening something and people will contact you. And maybe some of the people you would be curious and have a conversation, but you know, most of them, they'll just notice something and maybe that'll activate something inside of them. Now, tell me you're, you're talking, you talk about Dharma and you know, we, everyone has kind of a different idea of that, or it means different things to different people for you ending up in Mount Shasta now doing this amazing work and helping people kind of go deeper. What was, how did that come about for you? Like you got, you came to Mount Shasta to kind of do your own inner work. At what point was there an epiphany or something that happened where you said, Hey, I want to share this with the world. I want to teach this and show people this. Well, thank you for asking that. I would say, first of all, so a little clarification on what I mean by Dharma, since I think you were suggesting the word can be used different ways and might be confusing. I'd say Dharma would be your right way or your true way. Uh, it's often associated with work or outer service in some way. I mean, one simple way to look at it is to follow your heart. I think, you know, again, in our society, I think most people are choosing their careers and choosing what kind of work they will do, what kind of business they start based upon uh, fear and financial considerations. And I think a lot of people are afraid if they follow their heart, they won't have enough money. Like I say someone might have a passion for music and a gift for music. And so maybe their true dharma is to be a musician, you know, but they see a lot of people around them who are musicians who are 
barely getting by and they think, well, I don't want to be like that. So they get a corporate job. One good friend of mine did this, you know, he, he loves music, but he got a corporate job and did it for 30 years and pretty much hated every minute of it. <laughs> Whereas he certainly made a lot more money than he would have made if he was playing music, but he really suffered a lot and probably didn't help people as much. So number one principle I would say is just, you know, start by following your heart. And I'm fortunate. You know, I really lived that. I wanted to be a lawyer, but I realized that wasn't in my heart. It was just something that I thought made, made sense for a Jewish boy from the suburbs who did well in school to be a lawyer. But then I realized my heart was really in tennis then. That was my passion, playing tennis and coaching tennis. So my first career was as a tennis coach. And then one time when I was on Mount Shasta, I got a vision of starting a nonprofit using sports to help at-risk kids develop in body, mind, and spirit. It was such a strong vision. I, I moved to D.C. and I did it. So that was kind of my, my second career. And I felt like I was still, you know, on track with my dharma, following my heart, following my highest vision. I did that for about 15 years and that was complete. And I came here into Mount Shasta for sabbatical, basically. And, and pretty early on in the sabbatical year, this got really obvious to me that my next phase was to, to be here and to guide people on the mountain. And so I, so I feel blessed, Susan, that, you know, really from the time I was graduating college, I really followed my heart. And truth is, I probably don't have as much money as I might have if I'd been a lawyer, but I've always had plenty and I'm in a comfortable situation. I'm not in hardship at all. And I have the inner riches. So I would say to anybody out there who's doing something just for money that is unfulfilling, to really, you know, you may already know what you'd rather be doing and just to kind of at least phase into that. I mean, you don't necessarily have to go cold turkey, but to start to take at least baby steps to kind of incubate a new career based upon following your heart. And when you say baby steps, like as far as, I mean, for you discovering your Dharma obviously came with um, aspects of spirituality, kind of doing that inner work. Is that fair to say or? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think for me, certainly, you know, my spiritual awakening and my choosing to make the, coming home to myself, the priority just naturally led to my dharma. But I see there's probably plenty of people out there who maybe aren't prioritizing spiritual awakening, but they've maybe they got a passion for music. Maybe they got a passion for kids. Maybe they got a passion for, for pets. But they're not really doing that professionally because they're afraid they won't make enough money, basically. And they're doing something professionally that they don't have any passion for. And say, for example, if someone uh, had a passion for, for pets, say, and they, they really didn't think they could make a living pursuing that passion, so they got a job in a, in a software company. And, you know, they're making a lot of money, but they're, they're bored. So maybe a, a baby step would be to, to volunteer and, a local humane society or something. And, and, you know, just take a baby step or 
maybe a baby step would be to start taking some classes at the local community college, which could ultimately lead to a career as, as a veterinarian or something like that. So baby step doesn't mean you just quit your job and, you know, immediately start doing something totally different, but you kind of prepare yourself. You do it step by step in a way that makes sense. Right. Now, tell me when you're doing the work with people, how does that kind of, um, where do you start? If this is something we could just kind of give, share some of your kind of insights and wisdom with people who are kind of stuck in life or hurting or recovering or need to heal, right? What is some kind of wisdom and guidance that we can just, where can they start? the healing? That's a great question. I'd say, you know, any kind of aware, any kind of change process starts with awareness. I mean, the first step is to become aware that something's not working, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you need to do something different or you have unhealed pain. So, I mean, if someone's totally oblivious, you know, there's no chance so the first step is awareness. And the next step is choice. You know, so say if someone becomes aware they're carrying a lot of trauma or carrying a lot of pain that's been repressed or numbed out. Next step is choice. You know, you make a choice that I want to deal with this. You know, I'm tired of carrying this with me. I'm going to deal with it. You know, so those are really the the two first choices. And then, you you know, there's so many modalities out there for healing. You know, it's, it's hard to recommend one or two since there's, there's so many. But, you know, once you have the intention, you just draw to you the resources you need. So I would say, you know, first just take a look at yourself and take a look, especially at your inner life. You know, again, I'm always into inside out. Like if you have a relationship that's work, not working or a job that's not working, you know, don't start by pointing at the other person or the situation. Look at what inside of me can I change so I create a better life for myself. And, and ultimately, as far as the inner work, I mean, to me, what's most direct and simple is to consciously meet whatever one is carrying from the past and no longer serves the highest good, you know, whether someone's carrying fear or unhealed grief, anger, trauma, you know, it's always in the body. And to me, the simplest, most direct way is to find where in the, in the body you're holding the unhealed pain and then to bring awareness there. And, and I'd say for people who but just starting the work, having some kind of guide or facilitator or healer or therapist probably helps. You know, it's probably essential, you know, at least in some cases, to have someone can help you to learn how to consciously meet the pain you've been carrying, since it can be pretty scary at first to do it on your own. You know, so I say having a guide of some kind is probably good. And, and again, once you have the intention you may just run into someone who's office that service or run into someone who 
as we're receiving that service from someone else they can recommend. You know, you know, life just tends to support you and bring you the resources you need once you make that choice to heal. That's so beautiful. I love that you say that because I'm so big on this whole, the universe is listening, right? So, so many people who are kind of, this is not, um, they're not kind of privy to some of this stuff. They think a lot of that stuff is just kind of so far fetched, but I know you have just experienced this probably throughout your life where you get a hunch or an idea or a feeling, and then something kind of serendipitous happens and leads you there. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I agree, the universe is listening. I would also say the universe is benevolent. You know, the universe is on your side. And I think once you, you really make the decision to move in the direction of coming home to yourself, a direction of living your truth, the universe supports you. I remember there's a famous quote, I think, from Goethe, you know, and the essence of it is kind of what we've just been talking about. You know, once you really commit yourself to something, the universe just lines up to support you in that. So that's really the critical thing. Again, life is inside out. And when you make the inner decision to heal, the inner decision to awakening, inner decision to live your truth, then life will just support you in all kinds of surprising and unexpected ways that you can't really, couldn't really have planned for or figured out. Wow. That is, um, it's just, I love having you affirm this to all of us. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. And now let me ask you, can you talk to me about our, uh, about nature and our, how powerful it is for our healing and recovery and, soul growth? Yes, Susan. I would say, first of all, almost all of us, our full self comes out of fears in human relationships, you know, especially relationships with parents, with siblings, other people in early childhood. So, so the false self is all about protecting yourself from other people, basically. And so when we're around people, that false self or ego tends to be activated. But when we're around nature, it's not activated. You know, so people, everybody we come across offers us a different reflection and at least some of the people we come across, probably a lot of them for people who are early in the healing journey, they reflect back our, our fears, our unhealed parts. But when you go out in the woods or to the beach, the reflection you get is of, that part of you, which is balanced and expansive and, and free. So you get that reflection. And I think you get that anytime you go in nature. And I think in Mount Shasta, the reflection is just way amplified. Like you can certainly get that reflection in the Sierras or maybe even if gone to the park around the corner from where you live and I encourage people you know, to go out in whatever nature is accessible. When you come to Mount Shasta, it's just, of an octave beyond that everything is just amplified wow now can you kind of share with me on a very visceral level um 
what that's like for you in particular to just kind of be in the vortex there in a space that's just so powerful and um, what that's like really. Great question. I would say kind of awareness expands. Like a lot of time, you know, if I'm just working at my computer or something, you know, my awareness is pretty narrow. You know, it's pretty mental. But when I go up on the mountain, it's like there's this field of presence. You could call it silent stillness. You could call it pure awareness. You could call it beingness. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. What do you call it? But there's this greater field that becomes palpable. You know, it's not a spiritual concept that there's a field. It, you know, becomes a reality. And you could say it's like the field is amplified. I mean, there's always this silent, still field, the silent, still presence, the space of beingness. It's way in the background. And for most people, it's so far in the background that they're oblivious to it. And they're focused on what's moving, what's making noise. They're focused on thoughts, on sounds, on other people. Whereas the field of awareness itself, the silent stillness, is, it's always there in the background, but it's ignored. And so you go up to some of these places, I take people, and that field is so amplified that it's much easier to focus on that. And then when you focus on that, there's a, you could say it's a foreground, background shift that that peace, that stillness, that pure awareness comes more in the foreground and the thoughts, which are normally in the foreground feed into the background. It's not like the mind necessarily stops. It's hard to stop the mind, but the mind becomes, you know, so much less interesting, maybe less loud. So it just becomes like a conversation in the background that you're not really listening to and, and your attention's on the silent stillness in the foreground. Now, can you tell me, Andrew, what it's been like for you to do this amazing healing work with people, what that's done for you personally? Well, it's very fulfilling. And it's good practice for me, too. You know, I find when I'm guiding every day, or practically every day like I am in the summer, it just helps me to be, you know, deeper and more stabilized in feeling the field I'm talking about and feeling gratitude, you know, gratitude is a huge key also, which I probably haven't emphasized nearly as much as I, I could have in this conversation so far, but just being grateful opens one to receiving. And so, I mean, first of all, I'm always grateful to be on the mountain and I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve. So it helps stabilize me and just be present and grateful and connected. That's beautiful. Now, a final couple of questions for you. One, if you can kind of um, share with us some of the work you do, and I'm going to have links and things for people to be able to get in touch or sign up. But if you could just kind of briefly share about some of um, your retreats and things that you do uh, year long. Well, thanks for asking. Well, first, I offer, and my wife, Alex, also offers up. Uh, customized personal retreats all year round, which can be one-to-one, can be a couple, can be some friends, could be a group of friends. 
And, and we just design a retreat based on your intentions. Sometimes just one day, sometimes it's two or three days, sometimes it's a little bit longer. Where we go to sacred sites, and depending upon what your intentions are, we do different meditations or healing rituals. I mean, in general, and this will apply to what I'm just talking about and everything else I mentioned, you know, to me, there's three phases a lot of people go through on the journey home, on the journey of a retreat or sacred site tour, which is basically past, present, and future. I mean, first you let go, you heal, you release. Second, you reconnect in the present. You come home to yourself. And third, you receive vision, clarity, next steps for the future. So you know, that's kind of the overall roadmap and there's different emphasis for different people. Sometimes people are more focused on the healing part. Maybe someone's in transition, they're more focused on the future part. You know, so we offer those customized personal experiences. And in the summer, we offer two group retreats, which we actually just did in the last month, a week long and a three-day one. So those we're probably not going to offer again until next July unless something unexpected happens. But we do offer some couples retreats. We offer offering a couples retreat in, in a couple of weeks. And, and we also sometimes offer group sacred site journeys. Like, like for example, uh, August 8th is called Lion's Gate. It's considered a very powerful day. So we're offering a, a group sacred site journey. We're doing another one on August 17th, doing another one. Uh, September 22nd for the equinox. So we do offer group sacred site journeys, which are usually just about five hours, but they're they're very powerful. We go to the most powerful places and guide people through that journey of letting go of the past, coming home to the present and getting vision and next steps for the future. That sounds amazing. I am going to be coming up to Shasta. You and I talked about that and I can't wait to um, be there with you. So that I am super thrilled about. Now in closing, I am going, and again, I am going to have links to all of this. So if people want to get in touch or sign up for a retreat or find you or your website, that's all going to be there for everyone. But in closing, I would love to have you just share some wisdom with people about um, the soul journey process and just wisdom that has come to you through your own uh, expertise and journeying. Well, I think just to leave people with some really simple things that maybe kind of a recap of some of the things I shared. Uh, first, make the inner journey your priority. Second, gratitude is a huge key. And I think the challenge with gratitude is to be grateful for things that may seem adverse or not what you would have wanted. I mean, it's easy to be grateful for a good friend, a beautiful sunset, time in nature. But you know, you, you know where the rubber meets the road is can you still be grateful when life brings you experiences that are challenging or even painful. And I would say that the key to being grateful in those times is seeing it as an opportunity. Like, it, you know, if life brings you an experience which triggers some 
unhealed pain, not to be upset that this pain, which was subconscious, has now been triggered into consciousness, but to be grateful for the opportunity to meet it. Since if it's held in subconscious, it's basically limiting you and controlling you in many ways. And you can't do anything because it's subconscious. But when life gives you an experience, maybe someone is mean to you or blows up an appointment or whatever happens, and you feel this upset, you know, to, find, to first be grateful for the opportunity to meet it and find it where it is in your body, and just relax into it, you know, just meet it with awareness. So I think, you know, being grateful is important. And, and, and you know, one other thing I say is taking time, taking time to renew, taking time to go deeper. Like I believe Sabbaths are a good idea, not because it's in the Bible, but because it makes sense to, if at all possible, have one day a week or at least a good chunk of one day. It's just devoted to self-renewal, you know, to being. You know, it's not, not the day you do your laundry or catch up on your shopping. That's a different day. The day you just wake up, ideally with an open schedule and say, what would be most renewing? You know, most healing for me. Maybe it's going out in the woods or to the beach. Maybe it's going for a swim. You know, maybe it's sleeping in. Maybe it's doing a lot of meditation. Maybe it's going to a church service if you're religious. But to, to look at what's going to really be most renewing. And then occasionally to take longer times. You set aside, you know, set aside a weekend or even a week once a year. Just totally dedicated to self-renewal. It doesn't matter if you call it a retreat or for structure or not. I mean, that's one format for it. But just, just think, okay, you know, I've been working, working so hard and I'm ready for a break. So if, if I take this three-day weekend just for renewal, just for myself, you know, what would be most restorative for me? And, and often it's gone out in nature and you don't have to camp. You know, you can find a cabin or... B&B or motel or Airbnb, whatever, in a place that has a lot of access to nature and then do some hiking, you know, do some meditation, you know, you know, some reading that inspires you and just, just take that time for renewal. Oh, that was amazing. And I just want to say, I feel grateful to have had this time with you and um, you're just such a wonderful light and um, I just thank you for your time and your guidance and your wisdom and I am you're affirming for me that I need to do more self-renewal work <laughs> come to Mount Shasta Susan it's a great place for you you only live four hours away so get yourself up here I'm going to be up there. I can't wait. And we're going to kind of circle back about that. But again, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. And um, yeah, thank you. I'm so grateful and so honored to have had this time. My pleasure, Susan. Thank you again for inviting me and look forward to meeting you in person, hopefully before too long. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.